Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Sports Talk Saturday on WGR Sports Radio 550. All right, we're back here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR Sports Radio 550. Brayton Wilson filling in here for Nate Geary this week. Nate will be back next week with you. Thanks again for joining us. Sabres getting ready to play the Pittsburgh Penguins for the final game of the regular season today. Game 56 of 56 coming up for you at 3 o'clock here on WGR. Our pregame coverage starts at 2 right after we're done here on Sports Talk Saturday with Brian Koziel. He'll also be joined by Pat Malacaro, Paul Hamill, and Dan Dunleavy for a special uh, roundtable edition of the Sabres pregame show. That'll be coming up, and you know we'll 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 hear the guys' thoughts on the final game of the season. Not only that, but just how the season has gone, the job that Don Granado's done, the future Jack Eichel, and plenty more. We're also going to get more of those thoughts from Dan Rosen from NHL.com coming up here in just a moment. We're still trying to connect with him. He's scheduled to come on with us and talk some Sabres hockey from a national perspective. So once we get him on the line, we'll chat with him, get some good thoughts on the Sabres, on Jack Eichel's future, and whatnot from around the NHL. 803-0550 to join us, 1-888-552-550. While we wait for Dan to come on and join the show, we'll get some thoughts in on the Twitter and uh, text discussion of the grading and how Don Granado has fared in his tenure in the NHL so far. Text coming in. It'd be cool with a one-year cheaper deal, so it would so it won't be hard to fire him after five games if he's bad. I mean, if if they're making Don Granado the head coach, they're probably not going to give him a short-term deal. They're probably going to give him maybe a two or three-year deal. I mean, they gave Ralph Kruger a three-year deal, hoping that he would last the three years. That didn't necessarily happen. He only made it a, a season and a half under that contract. And you know, it's funny. And, and Corey, I don't know if you know this, but Ralph Kruger in his three years as a head coach in the NHL actually never even got the chance to coach a full 82 games in a season. That's tough. Yeah, it is. He coached in the lockout shortened season with the Oilers, mm-hmm. 48 games there. 
He coached the 69, 70 games that he had with the Sabres right before the pandemic. Right. And then he only got 28 games in this season before he was fired Mm. as head coach of the Sabres. So kind of a tough break for Ralph Kruger just because he never actually got the chance to be a full-time head coach, I guess, in the NHL. I mean, he was full-time, but he never got a full 82 games in, unlike many of the other guys that have coached here in the past few years. Yeah, it's true, but while he he the opportunity he did get, he completely made a mess of it. So, you know, yeah. it's tough to... Yeah, you know, it is It is tough to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt there. You know, I keep thinking about it, especially when it comes to Granado and how much praise, and you mentioned it um, when you were talking about what he said on the air and how uh, Jeremy basically wanted to carve it onto the side of the skyway yeah um his ability to communicate effectively with his players um so that they perform to the best of their ability to put um sam reinhardt where he can play center and he's performing well at center because probably because he's not being given orders that conflict when he's on the ice it's very clear for him he can effectively play his position you know um ralph Kruger was supposed to be the one who could communicate and there's just evidence all over the place that nobody knew what he was talking about anywhere like when he was trying to work out what was wrong with Jeff Skinner, he'd come on the air and say, mm-hmm. hey, here's what we're doing with Jeff. Yeah. This is what we want to do. And then we talked to Jeff Skinner and be like, nope, that doesn't make sense at all. I have no idea what he's talking <laughs> right. about. Yeah, exactly. And like that's a massive red flag. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I think that it's been a nice little breath of fresh air with Don Granado where it's just like he preaches what he what is happening on the ice. He wants a guy like Darlene to go play his game. He wants Yoki Haru to do the same. He wants, you know, Casey Middlestat and all these other young players to not worry about their mistakes. Don't, you know, don't worry about losing or whatever. Just go play your game. And it's showing on the ice, and it continuously shows. It consistently shows up every night, whether the Sabres win or whether they lose. Or, or it doesn't even really matter. I mean, the other night, the game wasn't a great game. It was an 8-4 to four game, but you still saw guys giving good efforts, and you saw guys playing you know, at their best and as, as hard every shift as they could. You know, at their, the Sabres have had three head coaches in a row here, going, mm-hmm. leading into Granado, of Balsma, of Housley, of Kruger, all of whom seemed so self-assured that they knew exactly what to do and they had mm-hmm. the perfect system to the point of maybe rigidity. Yeah. That they, just, they were not flexible. They were not willing to adapt to the players they had or to the task at hand, and it sank all three of them. Yeah. And now the Sabres have essentially locked into a head coach who seems to be extremely flexible to allow his players to show creativity on the ice, yeah. to play the game that they want to, and it makes me think about the Pagulas a little bit. Right. Like, if they go in looking for other coaches, will they fall into a similar trap of a coach who just walks into the room with bravado, with assuredness, and say, I know what to do, this is my plan, and I know what my plan should be. And they have three examples of that being incorrect. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point that you just made there where, you know, you want guys that are going to have the flexibility to know when you need to switch things up and you need to alter the lineup or you need to alter the way you want a certain player playing. I think that that's really important. And yeah, we've seen it with Dan Bilesmo where they were so sure that the system that they were implementing was going to work. It didn't work. Then Phil Housley, oh, hey, this is a new up-and-coming system, but it was just so complex. Uh, I think it was very similar with Dan Bilesman, where the system was so complex. After a bit, the message started to wear off. Everything seemed to be going over everybody's head, and nobody really, you know, they, they kind of just brushed it off. And two years after both those guys are in, under the uh, at the helmet head coach, they're fired. And then Kruger comes in. And he was so assured that what he was doing was was right, and he just didn't have a good grasp of what was going on in the game at that time. He just thought, you know, he's just going to stick to his system, and it didn't work. So 
seeing what, and that's another great point with the whole Granado discussion is we're seeing evolution and change in not only the players, but also the way that the game is being coached with Granado and how he wants to have things on the ice. Because if something's not working in the first two periods, we'll see something alter just a little bit, just to see if, you know, maybe that'll spark someone and, and change up a little bit of something. And it seems like, you know, when that starts to work, then, you know, Don Granado says it as, okay, this is this worked a little bit better than I thought it did. Let's try this out and let's keep trying to tinker and everything and let's try to have these guys continue to just improve. Again, the big question now all becomes how does this translate if Granado becomes the head coach at the start of a season when that pressure is on to get out to the good start and actually try to win these hockey games and try and set yourself up to contend for a playoff spot, not only from game one, but all the way through until, you know, game 70, game 80. Yeah. You are pushing for the playoffs and pushing to play into April and play possibly into May and have those games matter that much more. You know, it does lend credence to something that Jeremy has said often in that it does not have to take very long to fix the problems that you have with the team. You mm-hmm. can do this quickly, and I think Granado has shown that. Just with a change of style and a change of approach of leadership, he has already gotten players to maybe return to the level of development we were hoping, and that's what you and Paul were talking about last segment. Yeah. Um, but that also means that your weaknesses have become clearer. Right, like Paul said, like he had 13 guys he wanted to kick to the curb, and now he doesn't have that many. But that does mean you have changes to make. Yeah. So Granado might have made Adam's job much easier in knowing exactly who to swap out and who. I'm sitting here with the prayer hands, hoping that <laughs> Ristolainen Aren't we all? is exposed to the to the draft because like he has first of all begged it to go. Yeah, and also he's bad. Like it's it's a perfect situation to expose Ristolainen to Seattle. The only oh. problem is is that Seattle might be too smart for it. it Except in, that Jason oh. Botterill's there. Yeah. So hopefully he will screw it up for Seattle and they'll take <laughs> Ristolainen. Listen, I, I'm I'm in the same boat as Jeremy. If they protect Rasmus Ristolainen I over will a guy lose like my Will Borgen. You will lose your mind. Jeremy will lose his mind because Jeremy's in a mindset of I'm not here to rant anymore. I'm just here to have like a, a good discussion. I think Jeremy will lose his you know what if the Sabres decide we're protecting Rasmus versus Salinan over a younger guy like a Will Borgen because Will Borgen I think brings exactly to the table what Ristolainen can bring to the table except I think Will Borgen is a better skater. Than Rasmus Ristolainen sure. and a and a smarter player in both ends of the ice is Will Borgen going to put up points? No, he's not. He's not a guy that's offensive by any means. He's more of a defensive guy, but he still brings all those other attributes to the table that pr- makes him such a reliable player. Paul Hamilton could attest to it as well when he was watching him in his days at St. Cloud State and has been watching him in his days in Rochester. He's a guy that can eat a bunch of minutes on the ice and be a workhorse. We call Dylan Cousins the workhorse the workhorse from Whitehorse. Uh Will Borgen is like the white the workhorse from the blue line. He he just will he will eat up any minutes you want him to. He will play any situation you want him to and he can handle himself on the ice and he has just such a calm demeanor to him. And I think he brings everything to the table in that aspect that we wanted Rasmus Ristolainen to over the years that he hasn't been able to bring. Like Ristolainen is below replacement value in nearly every metric right. for a defenseman. Right, you look at the advanced stats and everything on Ristolainen, and they're all below league As opposed average. to Reinhardt, yeah. who, now that he's playing at center, is now maybe one of the best centers in the league in how he's been playing recently in terms of value over replacement. Right. Um, so you have this situation where everybody on the team who we thought would be growing is growing, except for the one guy they keep keeping around in Ristolainen, who has not grown at all. So we have the situation where if they decide to protect him, 
We will say Rasmus Ristolainen is a below-average player, according to all statistics. He does not pass the eye test, and he has lost a ton of games for the team. And he has verbally said he does not want to play here anymore. Yeah. That's why we're protecting him from Seattle. Maybe What? We have a little bit more time, Corey, to talk about, especially the protection stances with the Sabres. And maybe we'll do that a little bit. Do a little of an exercise in the 1 o'clock hour because we have some time between the top of the hour and when we talk with Brian at around one forty. The flex zone, the 1 right. o'clock hour. Maybe, maybe we'll look at the expansion options for who to protect, who to expose, you know, sure. what can the Sabres do. You and me can pull that exercise in the 1 o'clock hour. Strategery. Yeah, exactly. 803-0551-888-552-550. While we wait for Dan Rosen, hopefully we can get a hold of him here shortly and, and get a chance to talk to him for a good 5-10 minutes here let's go to the phone lines let's go to dominic on a cell phone dominic good afternoon you're on wgr go right ahead good afternoon thanks for taking my call sure thing man um i, I hate to put it this way normally i'm an optimist but in this case the glass is even half empty it's completely bone dry um this organization has made bad decision after bad decision and we need to start with this coaching change uh granado's done a good job uh but there's still too many inconsistencies uh with this team and uh, we, we have to start fresh. We need um, no more Krugers or Granados of the world. We do need that experienced coach, one that has uh, driven his players, has made his players better, gotten us into the playoffs like a Boudreaux, uh, so have you and have you. And uh, I think it's very important to get it right this time. I'm starting to lose faith in the, uh, in the, in the team uh, overall. I mean, it's, watching uh, the Sabres isn't even enjoyable anymore. Um, I was watching the uh, um, you know, uh, Vegas in Minnesota the other night, and I'm yep. like, wow, no, this is hockey. You know what I mean? This, and um, sorry about that. No, it's um, great. You know, the other big thing I think we need to do is um, you know, we need to trade Jack Eichel. Um, I think it starts there as far as the team is concerned. Um, he, he's great offensively, but he's a one-trick pony. Um, there's no physicalness to his game, no defensiveness to his game. And, and frankly, I, 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 don't, I think he's in oversight of being the captain of this team. Um, you know, losing uh, you know, Kane and O'Reilly. And those guys, I mean, look what they've been doing now. Um, I, I think we can still get a lot of value for him, and it can help turn this team around. we got a lot of nice pieces to go and a lot of nice young kids. And uh, I think a new uh, getting rid of Eichel um, and keeping Reinhardt, who I believe is the best player on the team and has been the most consistent uh, in the past three years, is, is key. And we need to get him re-signed. Uh, give that kid whatever he wants. And uh, just so on uh, from the top on down, you know, we need mean business. And if they can't get that right, hey, um, Sell the team, focus on the Bills, let's get a, a stadium downtown, and uh, let's hear Jim Dan say, hear your world champions, uh, Buffalo Bills. But <laughs> hopefully the Sabres get it right. Um, it would be yeah. nice to watch a good hockey game again with your buddies, you know, with the family, what have you, and yeah, uh, bring uh, hockey back to Buffalo. So thanks for taking my call, guys. I'd like to hear what you guys think, and uh, be blessed and have a good week. Yeah, good week. certainly, Dominic. Thank you for taking the call. Uh, I definitely want to get to your thoughts here, um, and I'll, I'll write it down. You know, certainly there's there's plenty to talk about with those thoughts, but uh, we finally got a hold of Dan Rosen from NHL.com. He joins us right now on the Wester Hotline, and Dan, we appreciate you taking the time to join us here on this uh, on this beautiful Saturday. Hope you and your family are doing well during these days. Yeah, we're doing well. Thank you very much. Sorry for being tardy. <laughs> Maybe beautiful by you I, up there, but I'm in New Jersey and it's raining here. So. Oh, oh man. Well, Rainy I mean, Saturday. I mean, it's it's not exactly like warm here in Buffalo. It's probably low fifties, maybe even high forties. But I mean, the sun is shining, blue skies, yeah. and it certainly is a day where you can walk out in a in you know a, a nice sweater and jeans and and feel real comfortable. But uh, hey, you know what? It's okay that you're a little tardy because I normally work the morning show and. 
and the nickname of our show is the late to the break show because we're always well beyond <laughs> the break and we're always screwing that up. So you are by no means at fault for anything here. So you're fine. I, I appreciate okay. you taking the time. So, uh, so Dan, obviously today is the last day of the regular season for the Sabres. They play the Penguins at 3 o'clock. Another last place uh, finish for the Sabres. Fourth time in their 10 years that they've missed the playoffs in a row. Fourth time in eight years if you want to look at it that way. Just your thoughts overall from a national perspective on how everything's kind of played out in Buffalo this season. And and I know that, you know, if we had talked to you earlier in the season, it might have been, well, the Sabres are a complete disaster right now under Ralph Kruger. But now that Don Granado's come in, what are your thoughts? Well, I think for the Sabres season, you just have to look at one thing. They've played five goaltenders. Five goaltenders have played in a 50, 50 through 55 games. That's going to be a problem you know i mean just just any season when you when you're going to go five goalies i mean look at the team they're playing today they've played two right you know jerry's played a bunch of games the smith's played a bunch of games they've had stability in the position no stability in net you're gonna have a problem and that's where they've been this season and yes there are so many other issues that we could talk about but that's the one that jumps out at me the most that they have played nobody on the team has played no goalie on the team has played more than 20 games this season which is kind of unbelievable, if you ask me. Look, but, but you know, you, it was a disaster under, you know, Ralph Kruger, and I don't know how much of that was necessarily all Ralph uh, or just the makeup of the team and the way things were going. Um, obviously, the Taylor Hall thing didn't work out. The Eric Stahl thing didn't work out. You know, all of those things. And, and you know, not having Jack, that was uh, obviously the biggest thing. And not having a healthy Jack at any point in the season was one of the biggest things. But lately they've had a nice story. The Hauser story has been a really nice story. They've mm-hmm. won two of their last three games. They've won games under Don Granado. They yeah. lost so many games under Ralph Kruger. They could not find a way to win, and they weren't close in a lot of games. But they've been winning games under Granado, not every game. And they've certainly had their lulls where they lost, what, six or seven when they were playing the Bruins and the Rangers. Uh, in that stretch, but for the most part, they've looked like a hockey team. You know, they've looked like a competitive hockey team uh, in these last couple of weeks, in the last month, month plus. And I think that's big for them. It's big for the offseason. It's big to understand who's involved, who wants to be there, uh, who's going to, you know, who's coming around. Uh, There's a lot of different things that I think they can take from positive based on the last five weeks rather than all the negative that there was from basically the end of February through all of March. So, Dan, looking at the positives that the team has started to kind of turn things around a little bit, mind you, they, they still are the last place team. They're going to have the best odds. But what have, you know, who is, what has been the most positive thing that you've seen from the team and who have been some of the players that you've seen the biggest turnaround from in you watching this team? Well, I think a po- I think Sam Reinhardt's had a great season. You know, uh, I do. I, I think you know that's one thing to look at there that he has been a solid contributor for them this season all the way through. You know, and, and I think you know other positives like you, like I said before, they they they've begun to play like a team. You know, and, and middle stats come around, right? I mean, he's almost a point per game player since the end of March. Middle stat, you know. And I said Reinhardt. Reinhardt's been really good in that sense. Dahlin's come around. Really tough start, but he's been better of late. You're getting some production out of Jeff Skinner. Uh, Risto, Risto Einan obviously can play those minutes. Asplund's been okay, too. 
there's guys here starting to come around, play better, uh, start to deliver. Like Middlestat's the one I think of. You know, he's really starting now to deliver on the promise. It doesn't happen overnight for guys. Guys, some guys take longer than others. And maybe he's one of those guys that just took a little bit longer for where he was drafted, and you want more, obviously, than you've gotten. But if you look at it from the end of March until now, uh, Casey Middlestat's almost a point-per-game player. And, and shouldn't he be, I don't know, point-per-game, but shouldn't he be the player that he is in this last five, six weeks going into next season? You'd have to believe that should be the case, right? Well, if it is, well, now you got something to build on even more. So there's a lot of positives in that sense. It Overall, it's been a negative season, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. But you can take positives out of the finish that they've had here in the last 20-some-odd games and really use them in your offseason and use them going forward. Dan Rosen from NHL.com joining us here on the Wester Hotline to talk a little bit about the Sabres from a Nationals perspective. So with the way Don Granado has gotten the team to respond after the firing of Ralph Kruger in the second half of this regular season. How seriously do you think that he should be considered in the Sabres head coaching search? Is he at the top of the list? Is he, you know, a, a serious contender? Or do you think that the Sabres need to go out and look at other options and, and see, uh, you know, the bigger names out there or just some of the, the up-and-coming names? How do you feel about the coaching search uh, opportunity that the Sabres are going to have this offseason? Well, look, I think in-house, Don Granato is a good candidate. And he should be a candidate. I think he's done a good job with this team. You know, I mean, he took over a tire fire and he's put it out pretty much, you know. Um, and, and I think he deserves it. And he's got a ton of experience as an NHL assistant, an AHL coach, USHL, and juniors. And I mean, like, he's got a lot. Plus with, you know, uh, USA Hockey, he's got a bunch of stuff there. So there is experience there. There's no question about it. He is maybe a first-time NHL coach, but he's not a young coach. Um but there's good candidates, too. I mean, you think about somebody like Bruce Boudreaux, Gerard Gallant. You don't know, you know, I mean, John Tortorella is likely going to be available. And interesting, like, I think Buffalo would be a good landing spot for John Tortorella because he does a really good job of building teams up. Now, getting them over the hump is the next step, but he does a good job of building teams up. And, you know, he would certainly, if you want to talk culture, which I think is an overused term sometimes in sports, but... You want to talk culture. He'll change the culture, Tortorella. There's no question about it. But he'll likely be a candidate that could be available to them, too. So I think Renato needs to be seriously considered. But I don't think you just jump at that without looking out and seeing what else is out there. And also, if you're a candidate who might be interested in the Sabres job, and I understand there's only one of 32 that's going to be available next year uh, in the world, you got to know who you're going to have. Like, is Jack Eichel going to be there? Is he going to be healthy? You know, what, what's the roster going to look like? That's If I'm a coach, especially a veteran coach, who might have my choice of, you know, where I might be interested in here, I want to look at Buffalo and be like, it's a real enticing market. That Obviously, it's a great hockey market. And you'd be they put a statue up if you can turn this team into a winner <laughs> at this point. But who's going to be on my team? What is this going to look like? And that's something that they have to – they might – I don't know that they can necessarily figure all that out before they get a coach in place on a full-time basis, but that's what I would be looking forward to. I'd be asking those questions. All right, Dan. So you brought up the the Jack Eichel idea and and just the – the coach coming in and saying, who's going to be on the team. I did want to ask you today about Jack Eichel and 
just his future. How do you think this plays out? My stance is you don't trade Jack Eichel, uh, arguably one of the top 10, top 15 players in the entire NHL, unless he goes to management, goes to ownership, and says, I'm done. I want out. I want no part of this organization anymore. How do you see this playing out? Do you feel that Jack Eichel is going to stick around? Do you think he's on the move this offseason? What are your thoughts there? See, I agree with you. I would not trade Jack Eichel unless he comes to me and says, I got to go. You know, I need a new start. I need a fresh start. You sign this guy to a $10 million a year contract. You slapped a C on his jersey. You made him your franchise player. He's 24 years old. He's got so much left, and he's got a lot of years to give here to Buffalo. And you're seeing some things come around without him. Like I talked about, Reinhardt, um, you know, Middlestat, you know, Oslin. Some of these guys have really started to play. I don't trade Jack Eichel because you trade Jack Eichel, you're announcing a rebuild again, you know, in my estimation. I think Jack Eichel stays. I, if, I'm, if I'm looking at it objectively from what, you know, I would keep him and I would continue to try to build around him and hope that what we have seen here in these last, you know, couple of couple of weeks can be something that carries along into next season for a number of these players. And then you 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 got to get a sta- you have to get stability in nets, you have to get stability on D, and then you you just keep building in that sense. But honestly, I think if they have some stability in net, if they get a goalie who you're relying on and you know is going to be a goalie that in an 82-game season is going to give you 55 to 60 real quality starts, that team is better all, you know, instantaneously better. And then you bring Jack Eichel back into the fold. I mean, this guy's an elite player in the National Hockey League. I I don't trade elite players in the NHL uh, for picks and prospects and hope to get something else that might help me along the way when you've been doing that for a long time already. Real quick, Dan, last thing I'll ask you here. We've already talked about the goaltending. We've already talked about Jack Eichel's future. What else do you feel this team needs going into the 2021-22 season? Yes, there's the expansion draft coming up, so you might lose a good quality player there. But what else do you see this team needing to do this offseason in order to really kind of turn things around quickly and contend for a playoff spot? It's been 10 years since they've last made the playoffs. What What else does... They, do they need to do in order to make it so either if they're not making the playoffs next year, at least they're competing and getting to that point where they're close enough and they're sniffing the playoffs for the first time in so many years? So what I say, I mean, obviously it's goaltending, number one, but you mentioned that already. Um, every time I've watched Buffalo this year, I've thought to myself, they're not a soft team, but they're not hard to play against, you know? And... I think that's, that's where they need to go. They need to get guys, and I think of guys like a Nick Foligno or a Zach Hyman or a Blake Coleman, who are all free agents to be, likely free agents to be. They need to get some forwards in there who are just going to grind and be hard to play against. They need, some, they need more depth on defense. they got a lot of young guys, and I understand that, but you, you need to build up that back end a little bit more. You need a Jake McCabe to be healthy. That'll help. But, you know, he, if he comes back, he's a UFA to be too. Um, they, they need toughness, like culture to me sometimes can be overused terms, but they need a little bit more of that grit and that hard, little bit of a nasty edge, but not over the line type of team that, that make it a little bit harder to make them much harder to play against than they are right now. Because a lot of, like I said, they're not soft, 
but they're not making it very difficult on the opponent. And they need to be a team to, that, to win in this league. I think you have to be a team that's got a lot of skill, but you make it very difficult on your opponent. And you know, look at the teams that do that, Boston, Washington, Pittsburgh, the Islanders. They're all going to the playoffs in the East, right? I mean, those are the teams that do that. That's where they have to get to. Well, Dan, I, I appreciate you taking the time to join us here. And uh, you can follow Dan Rosen on Twitter, and his Twitter handle is at DRosenNHL. So be sure to follow him. You can follow his work at NHL.com. Uh, you can occasionally see him on uh, places like NHL Network and other videos that go about. But, Dan, again, appreciate the time. Best of uh, luck with the offseason, with the postseason, and the work that you're going to be doing. And uh, hopefully we'll get the chance to talk again real soon. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Dan Rosen from NHL.com on the West Her Hotline. We'll step aside, and we're going to go from one NHL guest to the next. And next, we're going to be talking about the NHL draft because, of course, the Sabres, they're going to finish in the top three of the draft this year. They're going to be picking there. Who is the best pick? Who's available for the Sabres? Who, who would fit best? We'll get the thoughts from Steve Cornianos at the Draft Analyst on Twitter, the Draft uh, thedraftanalyst.com as well. He joins us next year on WGR. All right, we're back here on Sports Talk Saturday. My thanks again to Dan Rosen from NHL.com joining us on the West Her Hotline to talk about the Sabres from a national perspective. And right now, we're going to get some talk on the, N- N- on, excuse me, the NHL draft as the Sabres, of course, finishing as the last place team in the NHL. They're going to have a top three pick in this year's draft. So let's get to know about some of these top three picks in the draft. Joining us right now on the West Her Hotline is Steve Cornianos from thedraftanalyst.com. He's on Twitter at thedraftanalyst. Steve, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks again for taking the time this morning to, or this afternoon, I should say, to join us here. Yeah, likewise, Brain. Always a pleasure to be on. So before I get into the NHL draft real quick, just want to get your thoughts on the Sabres and, and just kind of how this, this season has played out overall for them, if you have any thoughts on on what's kind of played out for Buffalo. Well, I'm not going to mince words. They've played a lot better without without Jack Eichel, Taylor Hall, and the coach being fired. So I don't know. I think when you have younger kids in the lineup, uh, it's made them a tougher team to play against. They're more competitive. They're faster. They're, they're more physical. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, from a, a, a competitiveness standpoint where these kids are competing for jobs and uh, you kind of have uh, get to benefit from that, or really it is an addition by subtraction situation. But uh, either way, it's a, it's been a tale of two seasons, and I, I love what I've been seeing from them uh, in this second half. And I'm not saying that it's because of Jack Eichel or because of Kruger or because of Taylor Hall, uh, but it, it's just it's just the reality. Uh, they're a tougher team to play against, and. The one thing you have to think about is that there's going to be more pressure on them for next season. Uh, I know they're going to go back to the, the newer divisions or the older divisions for that matter. So they'll, they'll have, I think, more balance uh, within the Atlantic than, let's say, this year where you have five teams playing almost 600 hockey. You know, I think the schedule had something to do with the Sabres not playing well uh, this year, at least in the beginning. But uh, I like what I saw. They're playing the young kids, a lot of them. Uh, Casey Middlestat, Henry Okaharyu, uh, Jacob Bryson, they, they all seem to play better. Uh, when the changes were made, and uh, so I, I won't necessarily pencil them in for stardom, but uh, I, I kind of like what I see. But at the same time, we kind of always talk about this, where it seems like they have a good closeout to the season, and you get really uh, excited for the next season, and then it's, uh, you know, uh, Washington's repeat. 
So we'll have to just wait and see. But uh, everything is going to be predicated on what Jack, Jack Eichel decides or what the, the team decides to do with him. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see. That's very true. Uh, Steve, uh, before we dive into what you know the, the Sabres could do with the number one pick, who are some of the prospects that are of, of interest or best fit for the Sabres, how tough has this season been for your sake? Because you're a guy that goes out and you, you, know, you get a, a wide look at all these prospects and you do a really nice detailed job on your website with looking at each prospect and giving your true and honest thoughts. But this season with, with the COVID world, how difficult has it been for you to kind of look at some of these prospects, except especially in some of the leagues like the Ontario Hockey League and the Western Hockey League where some of these kids only got a handful of games in or, I mean, quite frankly, some of them didn't even play at all. It's really not fair to the Ontario kids uh, and to a degree the, the Western and uh, Quebec League kids because they just they either had half seasons or they had reduced schedules or they just didn't play at all in the case of the OHL and the OHL traditionally has made up the majority of a given draft year, right? So they'll, they'll comprise about anywhere from like 35 to 40% of it. Uh, it's gone down in the last couple of years. But to answer your question, it's been more difficult because of the you don't want to get locked into recency bias. You don't want to get fixated on the kids who are playing and have always played full season, specifically the kids in Europe, and say, well, I'm just going to rank this European kid higher because he's played 60 games and this Ontario kid, I've only seen him play five, so let me rank the kid who played in 60 games higher than, than the Ontario kid. When the reality is that you really can't tell. Well, you're looking on, you're trying to find uh, NHL potential. And uh, it's, it's quite possible that a kid that only played five, ten, five games or zero games this year from Ontario will turn out to be a better NHL player than a kid from Europe or, let's say, the USHL that got a full season. So very challenging. Uh, I think this is the first time where I'm really going to rely on, on stats to try to be a, like a tiebreaker or be a decisive factor in where I rank kids. Normally I don't. I go by the eye test, but uh, I'm going by roll-on teams, even if it has to go back to last year with the Ontario kids. Their role on the team with a top scores, top power play, penalty killers, uh, five-on-five production, all types of things I'm looking into to, to help me put together these rankings, which uh, have been very difficult really from the beginning. Steve Cornianos from the draftanalyst.com joining us right now on the Western Hotline talking a little bit about the 2021 NHL draft coming up in July. Steve, with the Sabres, before we get into some of these prospects, how do you feel this team or, or what do you think this team needs to address heading in with one of the top three picks, whether it's number one, number two, number three? Should they look maybe more towards center? Should they look at the defensive group first? I know that the, the top of the draft is is quite heavy with defensemen, but how do you feel that the Sabres should look to maybe address some of their needs at, through the draft this year? Well, I think that if you look at it, like the NHL isn't like the NFL where like, you know, you want, you could address the, the need immediately. And then the following season or the ensuing season, that player's in your lineup and he's, he's going to help out. or He's going to, you know, you have to wait for him to develop. Uh, even though the kids in the NHL now are making it faster than we've seen in the past. Uh, if I'm going to look at a need standpoint though with the Sabres, I got to look at that the right side of the, on the defense because the, the centers, okay. You got Eichel, Middlestat, Cousins, uh, and then even if you want to say Reinhardt, and you could just change one of those to wing. So it looks like you're okay in that regard. Uh, right wing, you know, you, you went right, right wing with your first two picks last year. They're both very uh, explosive slash high-scoring winger types in Quinn and Paterka. Uh, and so maybe left wing, all right, a little thin. Uh, but I would say that the right defense, even with Yokoharu, he having, you know, I guess a, a stronger second half of the season this year, and he's not all that old. 
Uh, but the left side of the defense looks looks fine with Samuelson and Johnson and, of course, Deline. So I, I would pick either the left wing or the right defense, and there are going to be players there that can address that. With the left wing, you got you have the Swedish kid Eklund, who's a fantastic playmaker, a dynamic, exciting guy. You got the kid from Michigan, Kent Johnson, same thing, maybe not as quick, but uh, very strong, sturdy, uh, sniper type. And then on the right defense, you got Brand Clark. I mean, if you're watching this tournament that just ended, uh, he's a kid that played for Barry in the OHL. He, obviously, they shut the season down, so he went to Slovakia to play. Uh, he said it was a tough decision, but here's a 17-year-old kid going to Slovakia to play in a men's league, and he did really well there. Came back to join Team Canada for this tournament. was one of the best defensemen at the uh, competition. So I think he's going to be a top three to top five pick. So if you're going just for need, those are the three players that I would look at. Uh, but really... You know, there's really no difference between one and ten in this draft. It's just a matter of preference. It's not like last year when you knew Lafreniere was number one or 18 when you knew Deline was number one. This one, there's a little bit of ambiguity. So uh, I, even if the Sabres lose the lottery, I don't think it's that big of a deal. They're going to probably still get the player that they want because there's just not a lot of separation between all the kids ranked in, let's say, the top 10 to 15. Right. So if they are – let's say they do win the number one overall pick and somebody really likes one of those top prospects and they want to get that guy above, say, you know, a team that's at number two or number three, would this year be a a year where you could easily see the Sabres or any team that wins the number one pick for that matter, be willing to trade out of that pick and move down the board a little bit just because the top 10 of this draft is so closely contested? Yes, absolutely. More so than, than, than any other year, maybe 2017, I will re- recent drafts, at least, I would say more so than any year, maybe including 2017, where if the Sabres, let's just say for argument's sake, that they think that Luke Hughes, the defenseman from the NTDP, is, is, a, is a carbon copy of his brother Quinn. And even though he's a lefty, he's going to be a, a big-time point producer franchise type in the NHL. Uh, and uh, you know, let's say the Sabres don't win the lottery, whether they win it or not, they, they have him number one on their board. Then there's always the chance that through their – contacts or whatever investigations that they do, but they find out that the other teams are not going to be taking them, then of course, even with the 10 picks that they have this year, of course, uh, I think it's six in the top 100, it doesn't hurt to trade down. I just don't see it as being something really catastrophic that the fans and even the ownership and the scouting staff will look back when they're like, oh man, we should have never traded down because it's that kind of a draft. And we've seen the NFL a lot. We've seen the, in the NBA as, as well. Uh, we haven't seen it in hockey in quite some time. I think the last time it happened was uh, way back in like 2003 or four, uh, actually 2003. So uh, uh, I think the chances are higher, but more than likely, teams are usually happy with having the pick that they have, and they'll just they'll, they'll use it on the player that they love and who's at the top of their board. Steve, looking at your rankings and looking at your recent mock draft that you have at thedraftanalyst.com, the Sabres have the number one overall pick. You didn't do a draft lottery sort of fun shuffle thing that you could do on some of these websites, but with the number one pick, you have Matt Beneers from Michigan going to the Sabres at number one. What would make him the fit for the Sabres with the first overall pick? Now, and now just to say that, remember, they're fine at center. So it's not really a need thing. It's mm-hmm. going to be a best player available type deal. And, and I think that if the Sabres consider themselves a team that is easy to play against and that it wasn't until the second half of the season where it seemed like we started seeing a change where they became uh, a tougher out. And you're seeing guys like Dylan Cousins play hard and bust his rump and, and, and setting the right example. And that kind of, that's kind of contagious throughout the lineup. If you want to keep that up, if you want to maintain that kind of culture in your team, uh, within your team and organization, 
then Matt Benier is absolutely, without a doubt, is the number one player in this draft. I mean, he is a – I mean, if you saw the World Juniors, you watched him play in Michigan, you know, he started out as the fourth-line center on arguably one of the deepest teams in the history of college hockey with all these first-round picks that they had. He started out as a fourth-line center. Within a week, he was the number two center uh, where he was putting up a point a game, killing penalties, uh, playing on the power play, uh, the puck protection, impossible to move off the puck. And really, I- I've never seen any quit in this kid. And he's also a very smart kid, by the way. Uh, he could have went to Harvard, and he actually had to turn that down because they shut down the season and went to Michigan instead. So uh, lead-by-example type. He's got a great attitude, comes from a good family. So, uh, you know, I hear this thing that, oh, well, he doesn't have a high ceiling. He's a second-line center, which is ridiculous because his skill set is similar to Jonathan Taves and Matt Shifley, uh, uh, Mark Shifley, and they're both, uh, you know, uh, elite NHL players uh, in their prime. So I-, I think that Beniers would be a great pick. Not saying he has to be the pick, but if you're looking at a culture type of acquisition or addition, uh, he's the one for me, easily. So Matt Beniers is, is number one. Owen Power is an interesting one because a lot of people have him as sort of the consensus number one this year, again, in a draft class where there's no real player that stands out from one another in the group, unlike past years like Alexi Lafreniere last year, Rasmus Dahlin in 2018, Jack Hughes in 2019. Looking at this year's class, what are your thoughts on Owen Power as a possible option for the Sabres on that left side of the defense? Uh, for another kid from Michigan where Michigan has got a lot of uh, recognition in this year's draft class. Yeah, they're going to probably have three top ten picks, guaranteed top ten, maybe even three top five picks, which is uh, almost uh, you know very rare to see in the NHL. Uh, I love Power. I think he's a throwback. Uh, he's, he's six foot six, and he's a graceful skater, playmaker, incredibly smart, uh, very difficult to, to knock off the puck. He just has he has the instincts of a forward and also the the smarts of a defenseman. So it's not like he's always up ice and takes a lot of risks. It seems like every decision he makes is, is strategic and calculated. And a very soft hand. He's got a hard shot. So you could almost say, like, he's a fourth forward out there. But he's so smart that he knows when it's time to cut, to cut back and, and maybe, uh, you know, re- retreat back to his own end and cover up uh, for a potential counterattack. So uh, I think he was the freshman, uh, one of the top freshmen in, in college hockey this year. Uh, he got some Hobie Baker recognition. Uh, I don't know how much longer he'll stay in college. Same with Beneers, I, I think from a maturity standpoint, they're ready for the NHL, absolutely, even physically as well. Uh, but, again, he plays the left side, uh, so you have to wonder, uh, you know, do, do you uh, welcome that kind of logjam and then maybe push a guy like uh, Ryan Johnson or Matias Samuelson uh, to the right side, uh, have him play on their offside? I don't know. But, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know if, if he's necessarily uh, required uh, for the Sabres organization right now because they do have a lot of quality defense prospects. But we've seen teams in the past, like the Rangers, uh, where they will just load up on these elite defense prospects and just let him duke it out until uh, you know, the, the cream rises to the top. So I wouldn't have a problem with him picking it, uh, being uh, selected by the Sabres. Uh, he's definitely worthy of it. Uh, and I do see him being a point producer at the NHL level. I just think that uh, forward might make more sense if you miss out on a guy like Grant Clark who plays that right side. All right. So you, one of the, the, the positional needs that you said the Sabres could look to address in this draft, whether you're picking one, two, or three, is the left wing. There's a couple of names on the left side of the forward group that are very intriguing towards the top ten of the draft in William Eklund and Kent Johnson. What are your thoughts on them? Uh, and is there anyone else in on the left side or, or anyone that can play right wing, left wing, have that nice versatility uh, that would be of interest for the Sabres no matter where they're picking in this draft? 
well, I mean, with Eklund, what made him special was that he was uh, he was a rookie on a competitive team in, in Sweden. We all know that the Sabres love drafting out of Sweden, so they've probably seen plenty of him. Uh, he had such a great start, and he was able to ride it through the entire season. I mean, this guy was getting basically top six minutes, and he was scoring at a clip. I, I want to say that it, were, it was one of the highest of all time uh, for 18-under uh, plays in the Swedish Hockey League. I mean, he was a, he's a goal scorer. He's a playmaker. He's quick. He's fast. He's, just, he's got a great attitude, and he's tough, too. He's not a big guy. He's about 5'10", five, 5'11", five, a buck seventy-five, but he's got a, he's got he's abrasive. He's got a, like a toughness about him, and you'll see him mixing up with opponents after the whistle. And remember, the Swedish Hockey League—they're adults, so he's playing against guys uh, sometimes ten, fifty years older than he was, and he more than held his own. So, uh, you know, I don't know if the Sabres definitely feel like they, they want uh, uh, you know a player like that because of the, the the type of roster they constructed. But then again, again, he's a tough kid, and he does more than just score, so uh, he wouldn't be a bad option for them. And with Ken Johnson, I mean, this kid is, is, is the flashy guy. He's the, the Michigan lacrosse gold type, through the leg, dangles. He's got a powerful shot. Also a throwback in the sense that he, he loves using the slap shot. You really see guys from the way using the slap shot anymore, and he's got a powerful one. So a uh, very smart guy, not the kind of kid that relies on others to do all the work for him. And what I like about Johnson as well as Eklund is that they both – uh, they try hard off the puck. They're forechecking. They're, they're getting involved. Not overly physical, but they, they, they care a lot, and they're not just on the periphery waiting for someone to give them the puck. Uh, as far as other options later on down, I don't know if he'll last in the first round, but there's a kid I love that plays for the Omaha, uh, uh, the Omaha team in the USHL. His name's Ayrton Martino, and he's from Ontario. He's committed to Clarkson, which is odd for a big-time prospect to be uh, committed to a program like Clarkson because uh, you know, uh, all the other biggest schools didn't recruit him. Uh, and I think they're regretting that because he's one of the best players in the USHL this year. Mm. And again, hardworking type, great hands, kills penalties, one of the best breakaway threats in the, in the uh, draft class. So, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of wings available for the Sabres. They have two second-round picks. They have two third-round picks. Uh, and so they'll be able to, to pick and choose how they go. But uh, if they're looking to address those two need positions, right, left wing and right defense, they'll be able to do it in this draft, no problem at all. Anyone in this draft class, I know we've mentioned a lot of names already, but anyone that could surprise you going as a top five, top ten pick? Because, you know, there are some players in the past that have, you know, surprised. Like a Mort Sider, for example, a couple of years ago was a name that a lot of people saw maybe in the 10-15 range, but he happens to go six to Detroit, which took a lot of people by surprise. But with, with the way he's performed now in the Swedish Hockey League, uh, there's no surprise that he went that high. But is there anyone in this draft class that could be a surprise to kind of go a little higher than maybe expected at first? Yeah, I, there's a couple. There's this Russian kid, Spechkov, and, and I know that the, the Sabres aren't really big on drafting Russian kids for whatever reason, uh, but Fedor Spechkov is a two-way center who plays in, in the Russian Junior League, and he was so good there that he, they promoted him to the adult-age VHL, and he was pretty good there as well. And he actually was Russia's top-line center at this recent U18 tournament. Uh, this kid, I, I mean, I, you look at all the top 200-foot centers in the game right now, He's got bits and pieces of all of them. You want to say Patrice Bergeron or Jonathan Taves. I mean, he's that kind of a leader. Uh, and I think that the playmaking and the, and the point producing is very underrated. So he could be a potential top five or top ten pick. Uh, the other kid I like a lot, and he's been ranked pretty high in some places, but uh, is Mason McTavish. Now, he's not related to Craig McTavish, the old helpless NHL uh, guy that played for Edmonton. Uh, but he, he is a tough, mean uh, winger with a nasty release. I and mean, he could also play center as well. But I just love these kids that really compete from whistle to whistle. I'm kind of graduated away from 
the ridiculous high-end skill and the spin moves and the flash. And I like to focus on the kids that could impact the game when they're not getting 10 scoring chances a night. And Mason McTavish is one of those. And I could see him, uh, you know, just blow the doors off of a lot of kids at whatever combine or workout that they might have. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, his performance at this last under-18 tournament was outstanding. So he's a kid to keep an eye on, no doubt. So I, I last thing I want to ask you here, Steve, and, and I have to ask this because he's he's come up on the on the show a couple of times uh, this week during the morning show uh, with us on WGR. But the the upcoming draft class in 2022 and 2023, the 2023 draft class could arguably be uh, the next McDavid Eichel, the next Ovechkin Malkin sort of situation with Connor Bedard and Matt Vay Mitchkov. Just what do we have to look forward with these two? They just played against each other in the gold medal game at the under-18 tournament in Frisco, Texas. Just just how good are both of these players? Yeah, the hype is real. You know, you, you, if, if anyone wants to try to sharpshoot their point production, which was ridiculous for their ages. I mean, they're playing, you know, they're 15, 16 years old, uh, uh, and they're playing against guys who are, let's say, you know, 19, 20, 21, and they just smashed records. I mean, I know that the, WH, uh, the WHL season isn't a full one, but when Bedard left, he was at two points a game as a 15-year-old kid. Uh, so, and what we saw in Frisco was just ridiculous. I mean, and it's not just that they don't just score. They do a lot more than that. And what I love the fact is the goalies knew it was coming. The defensemen knew it was coming. And there was nothing they could do about it. There's just no way to prepare for them. There's no way to uh, any type of zone scheme or man-to-man coverage or a system to employ to stop them. They were scoring at will. And they, they, boy, they make you pay for mistakes. Uh, so I'm glad I got a chance to see them live uh, for the first time. It, it was really a treat to watch, and I, I just can't believe that they're still only you know 15, 16 years old. So, uh, yeah, it'll be like an Ovechkin, Malkin situation. But with all due respect to Evgeny Malkin, uh, you know, I think this might be more of like an Ovechkin Crosby uh, kind of draft, or like a McDavid Crosby kind wow. of a draft. I mean, that's how good these kids are. Uh, two special, special talents. It's just uh, I think the world of them, and I'm. Uh, now's the time to stock up on, on 2023 draft picks, uh, without a doubt. Yeah. <laughs> try, to, try to worm your way to that top three. Right. Right, and and that's not even to to gloss over the 2022 draft class as well, just because that class is even good as well. But we'll talk about that some other time. Uh, be sure to follow Steve on Twitter at the Draft Analyst. You can find all of his work there. He's got a lot of coverage on uh, not only this draft class but all the draft classes coming up and going forward. Steve, again, I really appreciate the time that you took with us today to join us. All the best wishes to you, not only uh, the rest of this season but also heading into the future, and we'll talk plenty heading in down the road here. Love it. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Steve Cornianos from thedraftanalyst.com joining us here on the Wester Hotline. What a surprise. We're a break Late here now Who on Sports Talk Saturday. I mean, I'm, I'm going to blame Howard Simon because I work with him on a, on a weekly basis, and I think that it's uh, worn off on me here. Disrespectful. So when we come back, I've got to catch up on a break. We'll get some more thoughts from you on today's discussion as to Don Granado and his future with the Sabres. I also want to talk a little bit about Jack Eichel. And again, we talked a little bit about it, Corey and myself, about maybe playing through the expansion draft and who to protect and who to expose. We'll do all that. We'll try to squeeze it all in in an hour. Uh, Brian Koziel joining us also at 140 to wrap up the season to get a, a look ahead to the pregame roundtable that he's going to have with Pat Malacaro, Paul Hamilton, and Dan Dunleavy today on the Sabres pregame show and plenty more in the final hour of Sports Talk Saturday. Brayton Wilson filling in for Nate Geary this week and you're listening to WGR. 
All right, you're listening to the Late to the Sports Talk Saturday Break Show here on WGR. Brayton Wilson here with you filling in for Nate Geary. And I got to take another break because I blew right through that final break of the 12 o'clock hours talking with Steve Cordianos from thedraftanalyst.com. Thanks again to Steve for joining us here and getting uh, getting us all informed on the upcoming 2021 NHL Draft Class. Final hour of Sports Talk Saturday coming up next. Brayton Wilson, Corey Griswold here on WGR.